listen to the word this morning. Found in Philippians chapter 4. Just listen carefully. See how this passage relates to where you're living right now. He writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Begs the question. What have you been dwelling on lately? I like that word dwell. It, 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 it's more than just a passing thought, isn't it? What have you been thinking a lot about lately? Where do you find your mind going lately? What do you think about when you first get up in the morning? What is the thought that consumes your conversations throughout the day? What is it that keeps you up at night? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just and pure and lovely? Or is it uncertain? Is it depressing? Is it frustrating and fearful? What have you been dwelling on? This morning I stand guilty as charged because I am a part of a culture who for the last at least four months, maybe more, have been consumed with what is wrong. There's some very real concerns out there. I understand that. But I have to admit to you, and I, and I suspect that many of you, if you're honest with yourselves this morning, you would also admit that we haven't, as the children of God, we have not been dwelling on the right things lately. Our minds have been consumed with other things. There is this cultural or this collective anxiety that's going on all around us, and we have seen it, we live in it. People are nervous, people are anxious, People are discouraged, people are depressed in numbers like we have never experienced before. And I find that mindset is very difficult to escape. I get frustrated during the day when I find many of my conversations turning to what's wrong in the world. 
I get frustrated when I look at a news report or read an article and it's all about what is wrong in the world. I try to have conversations with people and I, and I realize that those conversations keep going back and back and back to what's wrong with the world and they're asking questions that there are no answers to and we leave those conversations anxious and upset and frustrated. What are you dwelling on today? Is it true? Is it pure? Is it just? Is it honorable? And then the question would be for, for us today in this culture, well, what exactly is the truth? Truth or the lack thereof is a concept that has been exposed in our culture today. Never before have I experienced a time when we were so far removed from what, from what might actually be true. I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, the teacher used to lead us in a little game called, I think back then it was just called telephone. Remember that game? And she'd put us in a circle. And then she would whisper something in the first person's ear and tell that person to whisper it to the next and that person to whisper it to the next. And all this whispering went all the way around the room. And then when it got to the last person, the teacher would say, now, tell us what you just heard. And it would be oftentimes hilariously wrong. <laughs> and nobody intended to get it wrong, but almost everybody did. And we would laugh. But as grown-ups, we're not laughing about that anymore. But it's still the same game, and it's still going on in our world around us because something out there is true, but there are so many channels of communication that by the time it gets to me, I don't have any idea what is true. We look at one newscast, and we hear a story with a particular stint as truth, and then a few minutes later we see from another newscast a, the same story but with a different truth. And we ask ourselves, how can it be? We even in our, in our culture today ha have a term refers to the fake, that refers to the fake news. And again, we laugh about that and we think, well, how ridiculous and how, how honest it is to be able to acknowledge that we can't believe everything we hear. But the problem is we don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah, fake news. And then it's passed on to the next person and to the next until it finally hits our social media. Now people are putting ideas and things as truths on social media that are not only a, a misrepresentation of some former truth that they have heard, but now they have added their own opinions about that. And those opinions are, are usually not very positive. We're inundated with this stuff day in and day out. After all, we live in the age of communication, don't we? We carry a device in our pockets that allows us to have, have access to information 
24 hours a day and seven days a week, and not just from the news media, but also from our friends and family around us. It is constant information. We're living in a time when the, the news is not always good. It is not always positive. There are more questions than there are answers, and we stay with it day after day until we are consumed by it. We begin to feel anxious. We begin to feel discouraged. Depression and anxiety is at an all-time high in our culture right now. And, and I think that as the church, we've bought into that. We're, we're not a whole lot different than those outside the church, those that are in the world, and there should be a difference. And we're consumed by it because we're buying into it and because we have not disciplined ourselves to dwell on the right things. But rather, we fall and pray to the things of the world and we dwell on them. There's a, there's a question in the little game Bible Trivia. You remember Bible Trivia? It came after Trivial Pursuit and they made one that had Bible questions in it. I remember the first time I read the question, I thought it's a great question, and I flipped it over and I realized that they got the answer wrong. The question was, how many people have ever walked on the water? And I flipped it over and it said, one, Jesus. You remember that story? I remember that story differently than that. I remember there were at least two that walked on the water. Because in that story, as Jesus walked across the water, the disciples were amazed at that. But Peter said, Lord, I'd like to come out there and walk on the water too. I was like, go Peter. Why not give it a shot? And the Lord said, come on. Peter stepped out. Clearly, that scripture indicates that he's standing on the water. There he is. He's not doing too bad. I don't know if he took a step or two or five or ten. It doesn't give a lot of specifics, but here's what it does say. It says when Peter noticed, when he saw the waves crashing around him, he was afraid, and he began to sink. I think that's a good commentary about the church in America today I think at collectively as a, the people of God we have gotten our eyes off of Jesus and on to the circumstances around us and we've all started experiencing that sinking feeling deep down in our gut We've been talking together about courageous. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of truth in maintaining your courage. The importance of truth, the assurance of truth in maintaining your courage. Because folks, believe you me, when truth is not available... Courage will soon begin to fade. 
You'll lose confidence. You'll lose hope. You'll lose vision. When we don't know what is happening around us or why, when we don't know the, the causes of things, we don't know who's in charge or what is going on, when we miss the truth, before long we become discouraged and despondent. Paul knew that when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to look at this passage, we're going to be in verses 1 through 17 this morning, and I want to look at this passage a little differently today than, than normally in how I would preach through a passage. I'm not going to try to exegete this passage, and I'm not going to do an expository sermon that's going to go verse by verse. He's talking here specifically about the eschatology, the last days. He's talking about um, the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He says before that's going to happen, the Antichrist or the lawless one is going to come, and he gives some details about that. It's a passage that I often use when I teach uh, last things and teach the, the book of Revelation and the end times. But I, that's not our topic this morning. We're not really talking about end times. We're talking about courageous. And I want to know what is happening here. And so what I want to do today, instead of looking at the specifics of this passage, what I'd rather do is ask ourselves, why is Paul, the shepherd of the church, writing this particular letter to this church? And what are they going through at the time? And I contend to you that one of the things that's happening is that they have become discouraged, even depressed, because they have lost sight of the truth. That's where they are. They're exactly where we find ourselves today, oftentimes, as Christians. We've gotten our eyes off of some very important truths, and because of that, we're being discouraged. Now listen to what he has to say about, first of all, the danger of deception. I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers... Not to be easily upset in mind or troubled. Look this way for a second. Anybody notice that we have, in our culture today, become very easily upset in mind and troubled? This is where we live today. So Paul is writing to the church. He says, calm down going to be all right you're so troubled you're so you're so uptight now he'd already written them a letter about this very topic but something has happened something has come into their midst and they're troubled now their minds are troubled they're upset they're not sleeping good at night they're talking about it amongst themselves they're trying to figure out what is actually going on and where actually is the truth he says we ask you do not be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter, as if from us, watch this, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Uh-oh. Now we know the problem. You remember my preaching a couple weeks ago about the day of the Lord found in his first letter to Thessal Thessalonians? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he talks about the dead in Christ rising first, and then those that remain will meet them in the air and be with them and be with the Lord. He's talking about the, the rapture of the church being called out. He said, when the trumpet call of God shall sound. 
the church is going to rise. He taught them that. And then in chapter 5, he was talking about the day of the Lord, and he said, for some it is going to be a horrible day coming like a thief in the night where there's going to be the judgment of God, and the judgment is going to be poured out upon the world. But for others, it's going to be a glorious day where they will begin to experience their reward. He'd already taught them that. And then somebody came along and said, you people missed it. It's already done. The day of the Lord has already come. Do y'all remember the Left Behind series with Tim LaHaye? I read some of those. I can't say I read them all. I read. I couldn't keep up with, with you or with the church at the time who was reading those books. They, you, they were very widely accepted within the church. And, and those books started with the rapture. And the whole rest of the series, I don't remember how many books they sold after that, but the whole rest of the series was about those who were left behind. And it was troubling for people to read. And I know it was troubling for you because many people came to me and talked to me about that and said, Pastor, I need to make sure I'm I just want to make sure I'm saved because I've been reading this left behind stuff and I don't want to be left behind. It's like the guy who was at seminary, he went to the bathroom and there was a fire drill while he was in there. He came back and everybody was gone. He thought he had missed it for sure. Get nervous about that, don't you? These people had been told, one of these days the day of the Lord's coming. And when the day of the Lord's coming, the church is going to be raptured out. All these people left behind, they're in trouble. And now someone has come along or some ones have come along and said, Hey guys, y'all missed it. That's already happened. No wonder they were troubled. No wonder their minds were troubled. No wonder they were disturbed. No wonder they were discouraged and depressed. Because there was false teaching. Let me show you a couple of passages of Scripture about these false teachers. And let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. False teachers were around, and in 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, in verse 3 and following, we see this. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teachings that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people. I'm living in that world. You see, if there's not truth, then you got something else. And whatever that something else is, is going to be a point of disagreement among the people. And it causes envy and strife, and I'm seeing that in our world today. He says, beware of those. Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, we find these words. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. How straightforward is that? So he says, church, be careful. When you get up in the morning and start listening to what's the chatter that's in the world, you're going to have a lot of 
of so-called truth-sayers out there that are basing everything they say on the elemental forces of the world. You better be careful about that because you're not going to find truth there. You're going to find confusion. Well, why is that? Well, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, the, Jesus is speaking there to the Pharisees. And he says, you, you got that word from, from your father, Satan, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of all lies. Now, we know that Satan is a deceiver. He is the father of all lies. We also know that Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. John 10, verse 10. He wants to kill your effectiveness. He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy the, 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 the uh, testimony that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to deceive you in order to do it. And one of the things that he often does to deceive us is that he'll take a little bit of truth. If you noticed him doing this in your life, he'll take a little bit of truth and exploit it for his own benefit. I think that's the worst kind of liar. The kind who has a little bit of truth, just enough to get your interest, and then begins to turn that for their own Benefit. See, I, I believe that there is a physical crisis in our culture today. COVID-19 is a problem. But we have to agree that there are those out there who are twisting that truth for their own benefit. we got to be careful about that and using it to create fear. And fear paralyzes. I believe there's a political crisis in our culture today. I believe there's a social crisis in our culture today. There are truth in those things. But as we read article after article, we listen to news report after news report, we go to the social media venues, we begin to realize that Satan is behind those things, pushing that agenda to get something across to us that will create fear and anxiety and doubt and dread. But it's grounded in a little bit of truth. And that's what he's doing here. Paul had already told him that the day of the Lord is coming. So he didn't show up and say there's no such thing as the day of the Lord. He was smarter than that. So what did he say? He said, oh, it's coming. All right, it's already come. And you missed it. This kind of deception is dangerous. And it's dangerous when you and I, as the children of God, get inundated in that. When we, when we spend our lives and our time and our energy listening to what is not truth. I was in a meeting one day and a guy got up and, and he, he asked this question. Uh, two questions, actually. first one was this. He held up his his Bible and he said how many of you believe that this Bible is true of course there's mostly preachers and church people in that meeting so everybody raise their hand then he reached under his podium and he pulled out a copy of the newspaper y'all remember newspapers <laughs> what we had before we had the internet 
he pulled out the newspaper and he said, now how many of you believe that every word in this document is true? And not a hand went up. And then he says this, then why do you spend more time reading what you don't believe than what you do believe? Let me tell you something, church, we're guilty as charged. We're spending way yonder too much time listening to reports that we don't believe instead of getting into the word that we do believe. And we're coming away defeated. We're coming away anxious. We're coming away broken and despondent. There is danger in this kind of deception. And we as Christians ought to know and understand that the word of God gives us truth. And Paul, as he's, he's shepherding this young flock, he realizes that they have been deceived. And I want to show you what assurances he gives them as he begins to talk to them about the truth. And I want you to look at verse 3 and following, and I want you to realize with me that his first thing was, look, you guys need to be informed by truth, that truth actually does inform. God has something to say on the matter that counts. We need to know that. And I love what he says in verse number 5. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5 he says, Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you about this? That's good advice. In other words, remember what you've already been taught. Church, let me challenge you today. When you're watching all of this fake news, when you're watching all of these broadcasts, when you're going through all of this scary misinformation, to take a moment at least every day, if not every hour, to remember what you've already been taught as a child of God. We've already been taught enough truth to sustain us during this time. For instance, we already know that God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to Him through Christ Jesus. We already know that God's grace is sufficient to meet our every need. We already know that He offers a peace that passes understanding. We already know that His love is abounding from generation to generation. We already know that Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give it with abundance. I just want to encourage you to remember what you already know. If you've been a Christian in your life any time at all, and you've been discipled at all, you already have enough information to, to overcome all of the false teaching that is out there. For instance, you might only know one verse, but if that's John 3, 16, you're way downstream on having a good night tonight. Because it says, God loved you so much that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him, what's next? Shall not perish. We already know that. Paul said, remember, remember what you already know. You know, he goes on in these verses and talks about uh, the teaching that he had already given to them about uh, the second coming of Christ and, and about the last days. But his challenge was more than just to understand a few facts. His challenge was to remember who they were and to remember what they had already learned about the all-sufficient power of God. I challenge you to remember that. 
truth informs. But then we, we see in this passage that this kind of truth will also instruct us because people ask, Pastor, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? I know the truth. I know that God is able, but I really don't know what to do next. What am I going to do with that information? Well, look down in verse 13. He says, but we must always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. All right, there it is, belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that, now watch, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, either by our message or by our letter. Hear what he's trying to say? He said there's some instruction here. What's the truth going to have us to do? Number one, he says that we are to obtain, to represent the glory of our God. One of the, one of the easiest things you and I can do to be a witness and a testimony to the glory of God in the midst of this mayhem of our culture is we can relax and let God have control. We can give it to Him and just stay for His glory. And so people are going to ask you, you know, you, you haven't been talking much about what's going on. Aren't you scared to death? Aren't you worried? No, I'm not worried. I'm not scared. Why, why, why can you say that? Well, whatever happens, happens, but my God is on his throne. And I want him to have the glory for everything that's in my life. And then he says, and stand firm. Stand firm. Stand up on that truth. To understand again that my God is able. And then let me just say it out loud, folks. We are a member of two separate kingdoms. Do you understand that? We are citizens of two different places according to Scripture. First, our first loyalty is to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Later on, Paul wrote, we are aliens and strangers here in this world because our citizenship is in heaven. Do you believe that? And our second citizenship, of course, is the United States of America or South Carolina, wherever you may be. But let me just say this out loud. The kingdom of heaven is doing just fine. Nothing wrong with the kingdom of God. He is still on his throne. He's got it figured out. I don't have it figured out. As I said last week, there's a lot more I don't know than what I do know. I don't have it figured out. But I have a God that I trust and I believe in, and he's doing just fine, and he is on his throne. And I can stand firm in that truth. Truth instructs. But then lastly, Let's finish with this. Look at verse 16 and 17 because we see here that Paul is using these truths not just to instruct but also to inspire those new believers. Here's what he says. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself, himself, and, and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Ooh, boy, that, that don't inspire you. He says, here's the deal. Keep in mind that no matter what anybody else out there has to say, what they believe, what they think, 
you are still a child of the Most High God. That's inspiring. I love it. May Jesus and God the Father encourage you with an eternal encouragement. And we're encouraged by that truth. I just want to challenge you this morning to hold on to what you already know and to be encouraged as a believer by what you already know. God is able. He is able. When I was in seminary, sitting, sat down to take a final exam, one of my classes, and seminary was a busy time for us. I was a, I was a full-time student. I was working full-time, full-time husband and father, two children at that time. I was a busy man. And I remember as I took the syllabus from, uh, the, from the class at the first of the class, I had a full schedule of, of classes, and I had this one particular class, and, and this professor just had a lot of books on the reading list called Outside Reading. There were a lot of them. I knew I wasn't going to have the time or the energy to read all those books. I don't recommend this to you guys that are students out there. Don't do as I say, not as I do when it comes to schoolwork, all right? I just picked a couple of them, decided I'd do the best I could. I knew I couldn't do all the reading for every class, so I just read a couple books off of his reading list. I didn't think much of it, to be honest with you. I tried. I did a little bit. I figured it could help some. Until we got to the final exam. The last question on the exam was an essay question worth about 40 points. And the essay question was based entirely on an explanation of a point that was made in one of the books that I had not read. He quoted that, I mean, he just listed that book and its author and said, tell me this person's theory. I was in trouble. I hadn't read that book. I didn't purchase it. I didn't go to the library and look at the table of contents. I couldn't tell you what picture was on the cover. I knew nothing about that book. And there I sat. Had plenty of time, plenty of want to, but no facts. I knew nothing. I thought about it for a minute. I decided, you know, I got plenty of time here. I might as well do something. I don't want to just walk away. So I wrote the professor a note at the top of the page. Dear Dr. So-and-so, I did not read this book. However, I did read so-and-so's book on the same topic. So I'm going to answer this question based on his philosophies instead of the one you requested. And I hope and pray that you're more interested today in what I know than in what I don't know. And I answered the question. Well, I got to tell you, I passed the test. And the professor had big red letters at the top of that discussion question, minus 10, wrong book. And then he wrote, Eric, you're right. What's most important in this world is what we know not what we don't know. Church, 
There's a lot of gray out there right now. There's a lot of unanswered questions, serious questions, important questions. I don't want to belittle them. Questions that have the potential to, to make us fearful and anxious. I see that. I know that. I just want to challenge you before we dismiss. From this point forward, let's focus on what we know, not on what we don't know. Our God is able. His grace is sufficient. And His peace passes all understanding. We know 